Come on, there we go. Okay, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Sean Levy. He is the author of a book that uh, came to my attention that looked very interesting. As somebody who lived in Los Angeles, it was definitely a fascinating uh, story. The name title of the book is The Castle on Sunset, Life, Death, Love, Art, and Scandal at Hollywood's Chateau Marmont, which is the story of a very prominent hotel in the city of L.A., Chateau Marmont, that uh, kind of reminds me of kind of a West Coast Chelsea hotel in New York, kind of so many important cultural, uh, political figures. Many people have, have gone through there through the years and, uh, since it was built just before the crash of 1929. But he's also the author of many other books, one is Dolce Vita, Confidential, Fellini, Lauren, Pucci, Paparazzi, and the Swinging High Life of Night. Nero Alike, which kind of ties into this story. The Rat Pack, Paul Newman Alike, The Last Playboy, High Life of Porfirio, Rubirosa, and Ready, Steady, Go, The Smashing Rise and Giddy Fall of Swinging London, Rat Pack Confidential, and King of Comedy, The Life and Art of Jerry Lewis. So he's an accomplished author, and I'm delighted that he's taken time out of his schedule to talk about this book. So, Mr. Levy, are you there? I am. Hi. Hi. Well, I'm uh, thankful that you uh, decided to do this interview. I know we took a little time to kind of figure out a date, but for people who don't know your name, can you talk a little bit about yourself and what led you to the subject of Chateau Marmont? Um, I, I'm, you mentioned all the books. I've been publishing books since 1997, and um for about 10 years earlier than that, from the late 1980s on, I was a film magazine writer and editor and a film critic at a daily newspaper in Portland, uh, the Oregonian, from 1997 to 2012, 1992, pardon me, to 2012. And I was a critic on TV. And you mentioned the books I've written. And I wrote a book about the Rat Pack. In fifty, in you know, early sixties, late fifties, Vegas. I wrote a book about Rome in the fifties, which was a real pop culture um, melting pot. I wrote a book about London in the sixties. So I always wanted to write a book about the Sunset Strip, which to me, you go Rome, Rat Pack, London, Sunset Strip, and so for about twenty years or so, I've been gathering string on stories of it. And Chateau Marmont's right in the middle, and. Uh, when I was seeking a new book project um, in 2016, uh, I proposed my Sunset Strip book again, which I have done many times over the years. And the editors who I'd worked with at Doubleday, they, they weren't keen on it, but they said, what about the Chateau Marmont? So they had taken my proposal and boiled it down to one subject, and the whole book appeared in my head at once. Um, Chateau Marmont is uniquely situated physically, culturally, historically. And I wanted to tell the story of the Sunset Strip, and I could tell a good 50-60% of that book in telling the story of this hotel. Plus, I had this incredible treasure trove of historical stories, gossip, curiosities. So it was a very rich subject, and I saw it immediately when it was suggested. Yeah, and it, I mean, it really is a centerpiece. It's located right there off the Sunset Strip, right in between kind of the lower part of Hollywood and Hollywood Hills. And it's very prominent, it's distinctive in its architecture. Can you talk about how the conceptualization and how even the hotel itself was built? 
Yeah, it, you know, it was Sunset Boulevard was an unpaved road in the 1920s, and a, a, a speculative uh, builder named Fred Horowitz um, bought a piece of land just outside the Los Angeles city limits. You know, if you drive west on Sunset Boulevard from downtown uh, past the Hollywood Freeway, it's basically a grid like Manhattan. It's a checkerboard. And you go through Los Angeles and Hollywood, and then you get to the line where Los Angeles City proper ends. And beyond that was the Sunset Strip. Horowitz bought like the first plot of land that was available on the west side of that border where the road starts to curve. And he bought a promontory and he put on it a castle. Uh, basically, he, he was in love with a chateau that he'd seen in France, which is happens to be where Leonardo da Vinci is buried. And he wanted uh, his architect to reproduce it in small form on this hillside. Again, it's an unpaved road. The city of West Hollywood exists virtually in name only. Um, and it's right there, like the Rock of Gibraltar. It's at the beginning of something. The, the road changes. The culture changes. West Hollywood was a wild town. It became a, a place of roadhouses and illegal gambling dens and uh, you know, after-hours joints. So here's Chateau Marmont with one foot in Los Angeles and one foot in this bohemian new little uh, village that still, as I say, wasn't paved. Right, and it's right there just west of Laurel Canyon Drive, right? And mm -hmm. so there, there's a lot of history there. And also at that time, you mentioned in your book, the Strip got, it was kind of a name of like honky-tonk bars. So the Sunset Strip always had that history of kind of a Wild West uh, element to it. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it, the, that neighborhood, there were mansions off the road, but they were to the south. You know, to the north, it was still the... If you're going west on Sunset Boulevard, everything to the right until you got to Beverly Hills was farmland, um, onion fields and, and, and uh, poinsettia groves and things like this. So whatever was built there, A, it wasn't policed by either Beverly Hills or Los Angeles police. It was policed by L.A. County sheriffs who were most of the time they spent on the other side of, of, of the metropolis. Um, so it was kind of lawless. Gangsters operated there. Um, the gangster Mickey Cohn owned a haberdashery on Sunset Boulevard in the 40s and was bombed. <laughs> and there was a shootout on the street in front of his store. So it's always been kind of like this in-between place and crazy place. Later on, it became a, a haven for Los Angeles's queer community. And it still is, like West Hollywood. Um, it's, it's still a remarkable place. And the Sunset Strip grew at, you know as the center of that city yeah and there was always kind of this uh that element you mentioned the place called the garden of allah which doesn't exist but that was also kind of a bohemian uh bacchanalia kind of debauched place as well can you talk a little bit about that and its tie into chateau marmont yeah the garden of allah was the first sort of um hollywood no-tell no hotel high-end no-tell hotel in the, in the industry. It was on the estate of the silent movie actress and stage diva, um, Allah, Nazimova. Allah, me. Allah Nazimova. Allah Nazimova. I'm going to try to give you a cut there. It's a tough one. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um, you've read the book more recently than me. That's for sure. That's okay. <laughs> um, but I've always had stuck, struggled with her name. So I'm going to, turn to a but, page and have it in front of me. 
but it was like there was that she kind of had this uh, theme of small little places. Marx was there, Bogart. Yeah, Lynn, yeah, no, I, I, just I a just, bunch of scandalous it, people. It was uh, built on the estate of the Russian actress Alla Nazimova, and she was. She, you know, she, she was in a, a, a lavender marriage with her husband. They each had lovers on the side. They were both queer, bisexual, um, practicing all kinds of free love. Um, she surrounded herself with painters and musicians, Igor Stravinsky, um, Picasso. All these people knew her. And in Los Angeles, she built the inside. It had parking garages and elevators and every unit in Chateau Marmont was an apartment with with a kitchen and a living room and you know at the very least a small suite with a, a, a kitchenette because they were meant to be apartments that's how that's how people lived in in West Hollywood in those days um, and right and I think that's interesting because most people wouldn't know that the Marmont was built originally as an apartment building not a hotel so it was right, transformed right. later, right? Sorry. Yeah, Fred Fred Horowitz's idea when he built Chateau Marmont was not for a hotel. Who would build a hotel on a dirt road? It was to put uh, apartments, mid-scale to upscale apartments, mainly to the out-of-town wealthy trade. Most of the people he figured he would rent apartments to were sort of like blue bloods from Santa Barbara and Pasadena and San Francisco who wanted a little uh, pied-à-terre in Los Angeles the way... Russian and Chinese billionaires own apartments in Manhattan. And that was the original idea. But he cut the ribbon on the place seven months before the stock market crashed in 1929. And even those wealthy people stopped looking for apartment rentals. Um, and after two years, he sold it to a man who turned it into a hotel, Al Alfred E. Smith, one of the founders of the movie business, who had become a property speculator after selling his company to Warner Brothers. And um, he saw that a hotel was a better prospect. For one thing, Sunset Boulevard had been paved. Um, this spot it was very convenient to Burbank or Culver City or West L.A. So you could get to every movie and TV facility really conveniently. Um, he understood the movie business. He understood the people who would want to stay in a place like this. So... He, he turned it into a successful business as a hotel. And some, I mean, at the at very early stages, there were very, very famous people who wanted to stay there, namely Billy Wilder and Gene Harlow. Can you talk a little bit about them? Yeah, from, from you know, Horowitz sells in 1932. And from 1933 on, celebrities and particularly European and English and New York film people who would be in Los Angeles for months at a time became accustomed to the place. And... It was it was not Chi-Chi. It was funky. Even when it was new, they ran out of money for furnishings. So it was furnished in cheap furniture. And then um, after when the Depression started uh, closing people's mansions, Alfred Smith, the hotelier, hotelier of the of the place, bought up estate furniture. So it was fu furnished in like antiques that didn't match. And it was always kind of not Hollywood. You know, if you wanted the Hollywood experience, you stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel or the Beverly Wilshire or the Ambassador. Um, these were big hotels on beautiful, lush grounds. Chateau Marmont, there was no swimming pool. 
It was a single building. It didn't have common spaces like a hotel. It didn't have lobby areas or a restaurant or bar. So people who went there liked it because it was sort of like a bolt hole. And it was, you would run into people. You know, they found one another there. Um, And so you wind up with Billy Wilder when he first comes from uh, Europe escaping the war and other other refugees from the war came to Chateau Marmont who reminded them of a European pension. You had Jean Harlow, who was, you know, sort of the uh, a naughty girl of, of the 1930s, a sex pot in the Marilyn Monroe vein. Um, be, being on her third honeymoon, she was about 22 years old. It was her third marriage. And during the honeymoon, having affairs with other men, including Clark Gable, her frequent co-star. Again, that could happen in Chateau Marmont because there was nobody there. And the people who were there were cool about things like this. If you were at a big hotel downtown or or a hotel with more public areas, you would be seen. So it, it catered to that crowd who wanted to be near the game, but you know, in, in a private space. But it, it hasn't changed that much. I mean, I think that that reputation for secretiveness and also kind of an insider's place really has stayed the same all the way up until this day. So it's interesting that that was the way it was, even considering that they didn't have kind of the massive amount of like uh, shrubs or whatever, kind of disguising things or even that. And then what developed after like the 30s? How did Chateau Marmont continue in its development? Um. Alfred Smith added some uh, bungalows that were on adjacent properties. Um, what had, you know, the little property lots that had risen up around the hotel um, as the Sunset Strip was paved started to be populated by these bungalows. So he incorporated some of the bungalows into the property. And so you had like an inner, inner privately private place. You weren't even in the main building. You didn't have to go through it at all. And yet you got the amenities of a hotel, you know, maid service and things like this. Um, And the next owner, a man named Erwin Brettauer, put in the swimming pool and acquired more bungalows and built a couple of bungalows. So um, there was one other bungalow addition in the 1970s, and that's it. You have a building with 41 rooms and you have 22 bungalows. This place only has 63 rooms. There, there are 63 rooms on a single floor of, of, of the Mirage. Right. You know? right. And it's actually a big building. So, you, I mean, it's surprising yeah. that there are that few, uh, you know, individual units. It's pretty surprising. Well, but the, remember, everything's like an apartment. Even the tiny ones are like a Manhattan studio. I mean, a small Manhattan studio, but nonetheless, a clear sitting area with kitchenette. You can cook your own meal in, in the tiniest room in this place. So... the units are bigger than the building in a certain sense. The building looks like it would house a lot more units, but because Mm of the amount of space, some of the, some of the, uh, there are several penthouses because the cantilever design of the roof. And some of those things are like 3,600 square feet. That's like two people. That's two family homes. (laughs) That's enormous. That's great. And so how did, how did like the continued development during world war two and post-war and can you talk about some of the more famous people who were residing there? Sure. Um, uh, Erwin Breckhauer, who I mentioned, um, he ruled over the, the hotel from the, the beginning of World War II, more or less, until the early 1960s. And I think that's when Chateau Marmont really became what we think of. Um, 
Brettauer was a, an anti-fascist. He actually funded the political opposition to Adolf Hitler. That's that's an anti-fascist. <laughs> you know, if you're banking the guy Hitler ran against, I got to say you're against fascism. Um, and he came to America, right? He lost that one. And uh, he started buying apartment buildings. He was a banker. He had a PhD in chemistry. And he believed in small d democracy, you know, human, human freedom and civil rights. He decided that Chateau Marmont would be accepting of people. Um, not so much like anything goes, but like if you behave with you know, respect and dignity, you'll be treated with respect and dignity. That meant you would have your privacy but you also didn't carry on like a loon. And he let, you know, the, the, the pool that he built in 1948 became a haven for gay Hollywood. That's where Tab Hunter and Anthony Perkins, the two actors, met and began a couple years affair that I believe is going to be a Ryan Murphy TV series with Zachary Quinto. Um, that's where Nicholas Ray made Rebel Without a Cause, Nicholas Ray, the 40-something director who was sleeping with his underage male and female co-stars, uh, Natalie Woods and Sal Mineo sleeping with is not the right word. He was preying on them. Um, that's We're talking about a guy who had children older than these children. Um, but during that time, you know, he turned, he, he lived there for eight years and he made great movies while he was there, including Rebel Without a Cause. And one of the ways that movie came about was Chateau Marmont was a place where the teenagers, gangsters from Hollywood High and young Hollywood and screenwriters and, and filmmakers could mingle in, you know, at a swimming pool in Nick Ray's bungalow. He created a milieu there. Um, during this same time, the method actors started to come from New York, Marlon Brando, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Um, they basically consummated their romance there. Paul Newman was a married man with three children when he met Joanne Woodward, and Chateau Marmont was where they um, they they acted on this passion that had developed between them, and was the start of their fifty-year marriage. Um, so, so it was always filled with these fascinating characters. Erwin Brettauer integrated the hotel. It was the first showbiz hotel on the west side of L.A. to be integrated racially, and that meant jazz musicians started to stay there. Dixie, Dizzy Gillespie. Miles Davis, Duke Ellington was the first black guest at, at Chateau Marmont, and he wrote music in the hotel. That's an amazing story to happen in 20 years. Yes. No, it's incredible. And there's tons of movies you talk about in the book that are their inception is because of Marmont. So Butch Cassidy, all these other great films, yeah. too. Screenwriters, you know, the, the other secret of Chateau Marmont was that it was cheap. You could say, you know, people knew where you were staying, but you weren't spending a lot of money. So you could stay there for months. I mentioned Nicholas Ray stayed in a bungalow for eight years. It was his home. Um, people would, you know, move out there and write two screenplays and spend nine months. Um, and, and there were people who kept rooms on retainer. So it was basically their L.A. home, and they kept cars in the garage. Robert De Niro did that for years in the 1970s. Um, he just, there was a room there that was his. I think they could get permission from him to use it for other, you know, you know A-list guests. But basically, it was of their 63 rooms, they dedicated one to this guy. Wow, that's incredible. 
And so, I mean, it wasn't, oh, I mean, the, the ups and downs of the hotel itself, there were definitely like some, a sense, but definitely some descents, some decay oh. elements. Well, I mean, the hotel was kind of a dive. It's particularly into the 70s. After Erwin Brettauer, there were a series of owners who I think wanted to tear it down. I think they were waiting for um, some zoning to change. There was a chance that there was going to be a freeway built through um, West Hollywood connecting the valley to the South Bay. Um, if, if you know Southern California roads, there's a stretch of La Cienega through the Baldwin Hills that feels like a freeway. That was part of that projected freeway. And it would come right past Chateau Marmont, right up Laurel Canyon. And that land would have been worth a lot more. It would have been a freeway interchange. Um, and some, yeah, something spectacular could have replaced Chateau Marmont. But the deal never went through. Um, anyway, these guys didn't invest in the hotel at all. And, you know, it was being used... Um, this was also the rise of rock and roll. The Sunset Strip had all the rock bands on it. So in, in addition to the movie clientele and, and people from advertising and fashion who always stayed at Chateau Marmont, you started getting music business people, rock and roll people. And that brings in, a, you know, it's the 60s. There's just a whole nother level of debauchery going on, um, you know, or, uh, it's fueled. It's fueled by something you know stronger than than you know booze and and right. you know speed. Um, so you get um, Led Zeppelin staying there. They didn't drive motorcycles through the lobby. There is no lobby. That that happened down the road at the Sunset Marquee. Um, right. And there's a lot of like a, a lot of myths and a lot of truths actually. Yeah. There's yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, during this time, the hotel got grungy and it was still cheap but it was cheap like for a reason like stuff was falling off in your hands you know you turn the shower on and the knob would come off in your hand so a guy bought it i think he w was one of the ones with a mind to tear it down a builder a guy from chicago named ray sarlot um this building was on the auction block in 1966 and the reserve wasn't met like that's how that's how low in, in esteem it was at that time. Um, that's incredible. And about ten years after that, there's still like it turns through a series of four or five makeshift corporations with, um, you know, their ad hoc one-time deal was to buy this hotel and see if they could sell it or tear it down, and it went through a series of those. Sarlat buys it. He's being divorced. He moves in. It's like a bachelor pad. It's famous Chateau Marmont for being the place where people go when they've been kicked out of the house. And he falls in love with the place and he decides he's going to restore it. And he's a builder and he kind of shores it up and saves it from rack and ruin. It had been neglected. Um, you know, it was never luxurious under Sarlat, but it was still a cheap and it was saved. He, you know, he, 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 per he performed, he was like the ER guy who kept the thing alive. Um, but during and, that time, you know, the Polanskis continue. are staying there and they, they um, move out of the hotel into Cielo drive because Sharon Tate doesn't want to bring a baby home to a hotel. Um, John Belushi dies there. Uh, he's been staying in a bungalow carrying on for, for weeks, months using hard drugs uh, abusing his body, abusing his career, and no one can stop him. 
Um, so, so, you know, Sarlat saw a lot going on, but sort of maintained some of the ideals that the hotel has always had of, of tolerance and discretion. Gotcha. And so what's the true story of Jim Morrison on the, uh, on the roof or on the balcony? Oh, you know, there is a true story. That's one of the great things I learned in this book. Like the day or two after this happened, there was an article about Jim Morrison in the LA Times telling this story. That's totally credible to me. And, um, you know, Jim Morrison got kicked out of the riot house, this, the Hyatt house down the street, um, which had been built by Gene Autry, the cowboy star. Um, because uh, he would be on upper floor balconies and swing from one balcony to another. Uh, very high, drunk, um, probably on LSD, you know, out of his skull. And he would do this above Sunset Boulevard. This was a time, by the way, he'd run out into traffic with his coat and like be a matador on Sunset Boulevard. Um, so he gets kicked out of that hotel and he winds up at Chateau Marmont. He's in a bungalow that has an upstairs and a downstairs and he's going to do the same trick. But, you know, Chateau Marmont, like I say, was not in great shape and you know, something came loose or he lost his grip. At any rate, he fell and he hit the little um, eave, the little roof over the doorway and then fell into uh, the garden below it. And he wound up, you know, injured, but, you know, didn't break his neck. Sounds, the there is some truth to that story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then two days later, this guy who was at the party says, yeah, man, I saw this thing the other night. Jim Morrison is still alive. And someone is telling this story to a reporter for the L.A. Times. You know, in a historian's eye, that's true. Gotcha. And so, I mean, it, it was so it went through kind of a downward phase and then there was a reascent, correct? Kind of in the 70s. Uh, well, in the 70s is, is the time we're talking about. Jim Morrison's gotcha. 1971, uh, Belushi's 83. Um, you know, some, some uh, Roman Polanski stayed there again uh, after Sharon Tate's murder when he was um, about to flee uh, his sentencing on, on uh, his, his, the charges that he still are, the charges are still open in California against him for... Yeah, I think he's a convict. He's a, he's yeah, a he, convict. He's he just fugitive. wasn't sentenced. Yeah, he did serve time, but um, not all of the time he probably would have under um, under the way it was going to be sentenced. At any rate, he was there during that time. That that happened. that was the last place he lived before he fled the country. Oh, um, interesting. And Sarlat owns this place from 1975-ish to 1990-ish, and then he sells it. He and his partner are splitting up their their corporation he's had the hotel for 15 years he had other interests and yeah but he he as i say he rescued it then he sells it to a guy the current owner owner andre balash who's the heir to a biomedical fortune uh, made by his hungarian dad who you know made billions and uh, and he's balash, kind of like a socialite right i mean would you yeah would you say balash is a man about town he uh has wife of his uh, the wife of his older children is katie ford uh heir of the ford modeling uh, business and fortune um so he was in the fashion world he worked in politics as a young man then became an art dealer and a nightclub owner and then he bought this hotel and over the years he's been engaged to uma thurman he's dated chelsea handler courtney love he currently lives in Europe with his wife, Balaj's 
mid-60s. His wife is about 30. They have a baby who's about two. Um, he, you know, he, 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 li- his, he keeps trying to sell his apartment in Manhattan. It's a $12 million apartment. And he says, basically, it's just a storage place for clothes and art. So he's Must getting nice. rid of it. Yeah. So, and his, his thing is celebrity. Um, he's, you know, he's owned other hotels, the Mercer Hotel in Manhattan. He built and still owns, um, the, he owns hotels in London and on Long Island. He has, over the years, owned other hotels, the standard hotel chain, kind of hipster, high-end uh, in Los Angeles, New York, Miami. He, he helped found those, and that company is no longer part of it. And he, he fixed Chateau Marmont up. If you walk into Chateau Marmont today, it is gorgeous. It is redolent of a heyday that it never actually had. It feels like you are in, you expect Clark Gable and, and Vivian Lee to come around the corner on Os- with Oscars in their hands, you know? Um, it, it feels old time, it feels luxurious, but it never was luxurious in the old days. So he's pulled off this remarkable sort of feat of prestidigitation. You know, you're seeing something that never existed, but it's beautiful and it's tasteful and it feels like it existed. He read the narrative of the place and rebuilt it as a luxury hotel. He put in a restaurant. He got the first liquor license. He started hosting parties and poetry readings, book launches and art shows. It's the place to go to get your makeup on Oscar night or get your hair done before the Grammys because, you know, certain uh, fashion labels and certain beauty uh, concerns rent whole floors of it for the whole of awards season. Interesting. You know, and... It's it's very expensive. It, Nick Ray lived in a bungalow for eight years. Tonight, tonight, if you can rent one of those bungalows, um, a pre-pandemic price would have been three to five thousand dollars a night. Wow. There's no way this dude lives there for eight years. You know, the Bohemians have been priced out. Now, yeah, there's a lot of rich Bohemians, but it's not the same. And it's a, it's a great job that he did. He changed it. He made it lucrative. He made it a global brand. But I think he also sold off some of the family heritage to get to that level. And it's there only as um, uh, it's it's vestigial. It's not alive. It's like a memory, like a a spectral. But uh, doesn't he have a plan to turn it into a private club or turn it into some type of yeah, you know, he he's had a really lousy year press-wise. He responded to the pandemic. It's a privately owned hotel, um, so we don't know much about the books. Um, he he closed it and fired staff um, back in March. Um, there was some discussion that he fired them because there were quirks of the California labor laws and the unions. He's trying to. Some people say he's trying to break the union. At any rate, he let everybody go. There are a few long-term guests who have been bubbled, quarantined in the hotel. I think that number's probably increased over the the year. Um, but most of, and, and he has hired back a portion of the workforce, but there were people let go who worked there for like 30 years. And, you know, in a hotel that small with that devoted a clientele, that means something. A lot of people got, got angry with him. 
he, he botched that. Then he announced tone deaf in the middle of the economic hardship and, and uncertainty that we're all living through. He announced that he was going to basically turn it into timeshares. You would be a, the only way you could stay in the hotel would be if you were a, a member of the hotel. Um, there would still be public places open, and I'm sure there would be a certain number of rooms set aside in case uh, Tina Brown or Tom Cruise or Quincy Jones wants to stay at Chateau Marmont. But um, in, in the main, it would be reserved for private people. Now, as I say, it's super expensive. The smallest room in the place is probably about, you know, pre, you know a year ago would have cost you about $800 a night maybe $500 a night. And that would be for like a kitchenette with a bed in it, you know, and big, bigger than some hotel rooms, but not as big as the other rooms around you. That's for sure. Um, And, you know, so he had basically turned it into a private club anyhow. Um, Right. Everybody's priced out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Except, you know, there could be new people coming in and, um, it's a way for him to generate income when the hotel business is, is you know, completely flatlining. Um, but it's it's a really he's 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 saying that at the same time that he's fighting his employees in, in the legislature and in the courts about unionizing and getting back wages and having protections against their you know employers who are so capricious. Um, so it's it was a really it was it met with a really poor response that that gotcha. announcement, and it remains to be seen if uh, people will do it. Um, you know, I'm sure there are people with money to throw away who who would like to stay at Chateau Marmont, but uh, they may not feel the same way about the place when they see how kind of cynically he's behaved about it. Yeah, I wonder how that that the future of the Marmont, what it'll become in the future, whether you know, whether it'll survive everything or whether he'll be able to successfully transform it. But I mean, the whole area on the Sunset Strip is really changing. There's tons of development. There's yeah. new, yeah, new hotels and higher end things. So it'll be interesting how, how it weathers the storm. You know, Gar- uh, Garden of Allah was torn down in like 1960. And it was replaced with a kind of modern-looking bank building, you know, mid-century modern-looking bank building. And there was no one standing up for Garden of Allah. It was destroyed. The only physical uh, memory of it was a model of the place in the lobby of the bank. And now someone's building some sort of modern uh, Frank Gehry-inspired tower with retail and entertainment in the lower floors and private homes reaching up into the sky on that site and the preservationists stood up for the mid-century modern bank. Wow. That's portion of that has been incorporated into the design for that building. But it's funny how that that shows you how Los Angeles takes its, its history seriously. They may not have been 1960, but they do today. And uh, because of that, you know, Chateau Marmont's a registered landmark of the city. Um, And it's always, one thing that Balaj has done with it that none of the previous owners did, you know, Ray Sarlat saved it from falling apart. Balaj turned it into a global brand. So someone's going to want to buy it. And someone can just turn it back into a hotel. If we know anything about this place, it's that it's adaptable. Good point. Yeah, it started as an apartment building and a hotel. You know, it was a dive and now it's luxurious. 
you know, yeah. they added to it. Uh, you know, it, 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 Chateau Marmont is 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 a, a, a bona fide survivor. It was built on the lines of a castle and double poured concrete because the owner wanted um, privacy, and it wound up also making it earthquake resistant. Right. You, I think part of your book you talked about uh, one of the proprietors, Little, surviving one of the earlier earthquake 6.4 or something like that. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, there are stories of, you know, because when an earthquake hits and the people in a hotel are all out of towners, so they're really panicked. <laughs> and, you know, there are always good stories about hotels and earthquakes. So, uh, Mr. Levy, we are at 40 minutes. Is there anything that you'd like to end up on or anything you would like to talk about or promote or where can people find your books? Where could they buy copies? Do you have a website? Um, yeah, I have a website, Sean Levy, S-H-A-W-N-L-E-V-Y.com. Not the Sean Levy who made Stranger Things and Night at the Museum and all that stuff. I get email for that cat every day. I am not he. Um, okay. And all my books are on... IndieBound and Barnes and Noble and of course Amazon. You know, um, IndieBound is where you can buy them from local bookstores near you. Same sort of interface. It's a nice thing. I think we learned in this year that local businesses mean a lot to us. True to support them. Um, True. And, and uh, I think project? it's worth noting also that this book is is. Um, in development at uh, Paramount Television under the production banner of John Krasinski. Right. Um, he's hoping to do a scripted TV series of stories set in this world of Shadow oh, Well, hopefully that gets uh, green lighted and we can watch that on there. I mean, this would be a good uh, intro to that future show. And do you have yeah. any projects in the future you'd like to talk about, or is that uh, still kind of hush up? No, no, I, I, I'm working on two books that'll be released in 2021. Um, one is a book of poems from a Portland, Oregon publisher where I live, um, based on a year's worth of obituaries in the New York Times. Their odes and meditations and who knews, and you know that was 2016 was the year I did it. And that was the year we lost Muhammad Ali and Arnold Palmer and Bowie, David Bowie and Leonard Cohen, uh, Nancy Reagan, um, a dozen, John Glenn, Fidel Castro. It was a really Prince. It was a really remarkable year. And so it's a bunch of mini biographies in, in, in poetry. And for Doubleday, I've got a history of the women pioneers of stand up comedy. So. It's sort of like the real Mrs. Maisel's. Great. Well, that sounds great. Uh, I'll keep an eye out for that. So, again, it's Sean Levy, and the book is The Castle on Sunset, Life, Death, Love, Art, and Scandal at Hollywood's Chateau Marmont. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your book with us. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for your interest. All right, Sean. Take care. Have a good one. Let's see. Are you still there? Yep, I am. Okay. Let me stop.